Hey everybody, I hope you're enjoying these clips from the archive while I gear up for season six. Speaking of which, I've got big goals for this next season and the only way I'm gonna get there is with your help. So if you could rate, review, subscribe, and share the podcast, I'd really appreciate it. It's really only with your help that this podcast grows. Thanks. Hello and welcome everyone. I'm Corey Hofstein and this is Flirting with Models, the podcast that pulls back the curtain to discover the human factor behind the quantitative strategy. Corey Hofstein is the co-founder and chief investment officer of Newfound Research. Due to industry regulations, he will not discuss any of Newfound Research's funds on this podcast. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own opinion and do not reflect the opinion of Newfound Research. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Clients of Newfound Research may maintain positions and securities discussed in this podcast. For more information, visit thinknewfound.com. There is no doubt that the tools of machine learning and the promise of artificial intelligence has captured the imagination of quantitative researchers everywhere. But I am aware of few fund managers who have wholesale adopted the ideas into their investment stack as thoroughly as Angus Cameron. In this dive back into the archives, we return to Season 4, Episode 6, where I spoke with Angus about his background as a discretionary macro trader and his evolution into a fully systematic, machine-learning-driven investment stack. Not just in how signal is identified, but in how trades are structured and managed. If the idea of a swarm of AI trading bots doesn't get you excited, this might not be the episode, or even the podcast, for you. When we think about the traditional Wall Street process, we might sort of think about breaking down a trade into these individual components that might be their own part of the tech stack. So for example, idea generation, entry or market timing, trade structuring, how that position gets put on, and then the ongoing trade and risk management of that position. At what part of the stack do you think machine learning provides the greatest edge and why? That's a really interesting question. I think machine learning is not necessarily the edge. I think it really enhances whatever edge that you've developed. So in terms of, if you can frame it in terms of those different edges that we're looking at, machine learning through natural language processing allows us to read news and extract signal from the noise a lot faster than somebody just sitting at the desk staring at a news stream. It also kind of allows you to process complexity in a different way to how a traditional analyst would be doing it. You naturally get a speed edge because you can process information a lot faster. And in terms of idea generation and trading, I do think that the ability to analyze a lot of information in real time gives you a higher hit rate and ultimately expectancy on a strategy by using machine learning. But just to be clear, we don't really know where the most effective use of machine learning is going to be. It's now permeated so deeply into the fabric of what we're doing that it would be very difficult for us to go back to a traditional approach. It is, however, kind of recommended that you take it very gently because the use of machine learning creates its own set of problems that don't exist in a human-based process. You have issues with data quality, 
you have issues, particularly in our area of finance, where data is incredibly sparse. Overfitting is a huge issue. And to get the whole machine to run, you've got infrastructure issues that are kind of unheard of in a traditional asset management company. So I wouldn't say machine learning creates an edge in itself. It kind of enhances whatever existing edges you have, but it is no panacea for the hedge fund industry and for traders going forward. It creates as many issues that you have to resolve than it actually does resolve itself. So Angus, of just about anyone I've spoken to in the three and a half seasons I've done with this podcast now, you are probably the person who has put the most emphasis on the importance of actual trade structuring and ongoing management of those trades. And in fact, in a prior conversation, I think you sort of alluded to or may even called it sort of a hidden source of alpha in the markets that a lot of people overlook. I'm curious as to where this view came from for you and why you think it's so important. In a way, it's a difference between whether or not you're a trader or whether or not you consider yourself an investor. If your main functionality is trading, and what I mean by trading is that you have leverage and you have a stop, whereas investing is where it's kind of the absence of a leverage and absence of a stop. Trading and managing the position size over the life of the trade becomes more and more of an important kind of feature of outperformance the kind of longer you trade. So I wouldn't necessarily say it's a hidden source of alpha, but I guess it's a rarely discussed source of alpha outside of trading circles. People generally like high hit rate strategies. They like that there's this intuitive sense to be and desire to be right on a trade. And the problem with trading strategies that have high hit rates is that they don't always translate into positive expectancy over the longer term. So if you look at it as a kind of a single trading strategy through the lens of a payoff formula, you have basically three input variables. You've got your hit rate, which is how often are you right. You've got your risk reward, which is how much you make when you're right versus how much you lose when you're wrong. And the other variable is the number of trades that you put on in a given period. And ideally, as a trader, you're looking for a strategy that has a positive expectancy, which basically implies that your hit rate multiplied by your winners minus one minus your hit rate multiplied by your losers is going to be a positive number. And you can either focus on improving the hit rate of a strategy, or you can focus on improving the risk reward of the strategy. I think over the longer term, I found that strategies with higher risk reward or what you would call convexity or asymmetry in payoff generate a more sustainable long-term return. It's the difference between buying volatility and selling volatility. Selling volatility is a strategy which has a high hit rate, but a really awful risk reward. Buying volatility has a low hit rate and a positive risk reward. So you're constantly dealing with those features. So really kind of the issue of traders and what they talk about is what is my trade expression? What is my trade structuring that generates that high risk reward rather than do I think Microsoft is going up or do I think Microsoft is going down? I guess that's the point that I was making about a hidden source of alpha. 
but to kind of put it into a framework that's a little bit easier to understand, there's really only two functional tasks in both the kind of trading and investment world. There's really two domains of activity. The first domain is kind of idea generation or research and prediction, and that in kind of entails new idea generation and the monitoring of existing ideas. And then the second domain is really the action space, which is trading and investment strategy. And both of those are skills that require time to develop.